Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. So I think like these kind of odd situations are still around, but they're actually a lot more often than you think, you know, so um, they happen a lot more often than you think, even in this crazy hot market. And sometimes it's just about digging a little bit deeper. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrant Shum and in this episode of Invest Like a Pro, we're chatting with founder and director of Housefinder, Simon Liu. He delves into the scorching Queensland market and reveals the numbers behind just how much the last 12 months has affected it. In amongst the craze, he's been able to use his powers for good to find sizzling deals for his clients. Despite the whirlwind of real estate in 2020, off-market properties are still available. In a seller's market, Lou puts his buyer's agent magic to work to help buyers purchase property into even the hottest locations. We've absolutely been smashed obviously uh, just across the board uh, with, uh, with investors uh, wanting to get into particularly Brisbane which as I'm sure you're aware and all, all the listeners are aware that so it's, it's incredibly hot at the moment. Um, but with that said, you know, the on the grapevine, or you know, if you if you look at what people are saying, if you look at the Facebook groups and what everyone is saying is that it's impossible to find properties, it's impossible to find good deals, it's impossible to find off-market properties. But I, I guess I wanted to stress the importance, of, like even in a crazy market that we're in at the moment, that it's really still important to focus as an investor on the basic fundamentals of uh, the numbers attached to any investment property, right? So, uh, you know, there's a lot of FOMO happening. There's a lot of people that are getting super frustrated attending auctions and seeing stuff that's open uh, uh, that gets listed online and gets sold within, you know, 30 minutes, let's say. Uh, not 30 minutes, maybe like a few hours or whatever. But, but like, a, you know what I mean? Like, like properties are just moving so quickly and it's, a, you know, buyers are very frustrated. Um, but with that said, like, you know, and this isn't like, you know, us trying to boast that we're, we're getting these amazing deals or anything like that, even though that we are, but we're still getting so many off-market and distressed opportunities, even in this crazy market that we're buying. In fact, of the last 30 properties we've bought, 29 of them have been off-market, and this was in, within Brisbane alone. I would say within 30 Ks of Brisbane. Um, and not only do we get better deals by focusing on off markets, we also uh, avoid competition and it actually makes the buying process a lot easier, right? Because when you buy a property, typically, you know, you need to do a bit, at least a little bit of due diligence before you even secure it. Um, you know, this might involve an inspection, it might involve obviously analyzing the suburb and the street and the property itself and all this kind of stuff, even if you're like a super seasoned investor. 
still need to do that. But, you know, if a property gets listed online, a lot of people don't even have the opportunity to even think about, you know, the process of whether it's a good deal or not, or, or how are they going to make an offer and put an offer in, or, you know, whether what the risks are involved in terms of buying this property. And by the time you've put all this info together and you realize, okay, cool, I'm ready to go, let's do it, the property's gone. You know, it's gone to another person that's uh, maybe like a family or whoever that's been looking in the market for several months and they've kept missing out as well. So, you know, again, focusing on these off markets just give us a lot of time, uh, not a lot, not a lot of time, but at least some time to digest and to realize, okay, cool, is it a good deal? Is it not? Because even though properties are off market, they're not all good deals. Right, some some off markets are literally just sellers being a bit cheeky, maybe, and trying to sell their property for a premium price, but not pay for marketing. So, you know, as as buyers agents or investors, even, you know, it's important for us to okay, cool, it's off market, which is great. That's one box ticked. But is it actually a good property, a good deal, good area? No flood zones, no bushfire zones, no power lines, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and and that's like logistically, that's one of the one of the other reasons why we still continue to try and focus more on the off market side of uh, side of the the properties. And we're buying. I mean, they're they're definitely out there. You know, it just comes down to who you talk to, and I guess the amount of uh, 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 relationships that you have, you've got built up with selling agents. Um, and uh, you know, like I said in previous episodes. There's two sides. Number one, a lot of agents, especially in this market, are are looking to make a quick buck. You know, they're looking to make quick commission. Um, they don't want to do open homes and get smashed with a hundred calls or, you know, um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of sort of shaky first home buyers, especially finance issues at the moment that we're, that that's starting. We're all seeing a lot of. So if they can sell it to somebody like, you know, ourselves who has. A great track record of being able to push contracts through relatively easily and ensure this the, the buying process is smooth as well then sometimes depending on the seller situation it may lean towards giving us these opportunities which obviously we analyze and pass on to our clients for example um, and on the other side even if it's a super super hot market you know there are always seller situations where they have to sell either super urgently or super quietly you know, so sometimes there's like, you know, could be, um, uh, uh, you know, separation or divorce issues or, or, or like personal dramas, you know, in people's lives that uh, mean that they don't want to have a public sale. And again, if you're at the right place at the right time with the right offer, you can definitely use that to your advantage as well. So, but obviously the main part of it is to get good deals. Yeah. Absolutely, for investors as well. So, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the examples that you've found in terms of off-market deal or properties that you've been because it'll be interesting just to hear from, the, I guess, see what these kind of clients are actually picking up. I mean, it's it's fantastic that you've explained how off-market deals come about and you know why the reasons behind it and it makes absolute sense because you know, if I was an agent, I probably don't want to go through that whole process and you know that's a quick market, you want to be able to get them out. And you know, ultimately, I guess that if they've got so much stock, they just want to turn it over rather than just um, keep it, you know, listed and so forth. So yeah, all right. Well, let's jump into any of the uh, example that you've actually picked up in the last uh, few. So one example that I wanted to share was a property we bought uh, in a suburb uh, called Eagleby, uh, which is uh, in the Logan area, uh, about thirty odd kilometers south of Brisbane. Um, now this particular agent. 
Um, first, actually, first of all, I'll talk a little bit about Eagle Bee. So Eagle Bee, I would say about 12 to 18 months ago, was still pretty quiet, you know, similar to the whole kind of Logan area. You know, it was still a bit of a sleeper, as I'm sure you and a lot of listeners know, Logan has had a bit of a reputation for, or parts of Logan, not all of it, the 70 suburbs in Logan. But in this particular pocket of Logan, it's always had a bit of a, uh, maybe like a lower socioeconomic kind of stigma. But what's happened is over the past 12 or 18 months, similar with a lot of these sort of cheaper areas, so to speak, they've been absolutely smashed, right, with mostly owner-occupiers because they're seeing what's happening in other parts of Brisbane where it's moving up quite rapidly. And they're trying to get into an area that is, you know, still ticks the boxes of being family-friendly, suburban, quiet, good infrastructure, um, well-connected services, all that kind of stuff, but still at an affordable price point. So areas like Eagleby and Beanley and, you know, Crestmead and Marsden and all these kinds of pockets have actually just went absolutely nuts. You know, so, you know, we had a particular um, uh, client with a with a, with a, a limited budget, I would say, of about $400,000. Um, and he was looking, uh, you know, for, for, for investment property, obviously. Uh, and, you know, one of the agents that we deal with quite frequently uh, in the in the sort of Logan area, um, uh, you know, we actually approached them and said, "Hey, you know, what kind of uh, what kind of properties do you have that, uh, or what kind of sellers do you have that need to sell off market?" So anyway, he told us about this property where the property actually had a tenant in the in the property that was a super long term tenant, and he, he, the tenant actually had a relationship with the owner, and the owner would only sell the property if the tenant could stay in the property. So he, he was not actually price-driven to get the absolute highest price. He actually just wanted to ensure that the well-being of the tenant or his friend uh, was going to be looked after. So anyway, it was off-market. To be honest, that's excellent. I mean, I have very rarely hear landlords or even owners who are selling property want to look after the tenant. So there must be some kind of goodwill there that you know this tenant has had looking after the property. So that's that's phenomenal. Great tenant. You know, they, they were obviously, you know, paying... Uh, I wouldn't say market rent, they were probably paying a slightly cheaper rent, but nonetheless, it, it gave us an opportunity to potentially buy a house where obviously my investors are, um, sorry, my clients are all investors, so they want to retain a good tenant anyway. Um, so anyway, we looked at this property, it was a four bedroom, two bathroom, two garage, brick house, 600 square meter, around about, I would say the 10 year old mark, so fairly sort of newish kind of house over in Eagleby. Um, when we ran the comps, this was about we 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 closed this deal maybe around about a, a month ago, a month and a half ago now. And if you're looking at these kind of comparables um, at the time, they were all selling for around about the 450 k uh, 450 k to maybe around the sort of 500 k mark, right? As a as a um, as as the ones that are like listed online and they've had the professional photos and they all look very sharp and you know auction and open homes and all that kind of stuff. So when when the agent told me that we could buy the property at 385, you know, I immediately was like, okay, you know, it's it's, it's just ridiculous. And you know, previously before this crazy market, I would I would sometimes question that with the agent. I'd be like, okay, what's the situation? Why would they sell it so cheap? And it turns out, like, even though I did ask the question, like, I, I kind of take the answer with a grain of salt, to be honest, because 50% is true, 50% could be a lie. Um, 
But anyway, he just told me that, like exactly what I said. Look, you know, he's not he's not looking to make a make a make absolute top dollar. He just wants a quick and easy sale. He wants to make sure that the tenants looked after. Um, he's not going to be leaving anytime soon, um, and uh, you know he's happy to let it go for that price because the seller worked out that if he sold it at three eighty five, he would make his money on it, not like a significant amount, but enough so that he would be happy on it. And he would, uh, it would be a quick and easy sale, and obviously the tenant could stay as well. So anyway, long story. Obviously, you know, we put the property together. You know, we sent it off to a client who was obviously super excited the fact that he can buy this house at three eighty five, and we showed him the comps that were selling for at least four fifty, almost identical four two two single square meter type properties. Anyway, went for it. He, you know, I knew this particular buyer as well. He was very, very secure on the finance. So he wasn't going to stuff around on on the finance extensions or anything like that. So yeah, basically just picked up a great deal. Um, you know, obviously we've kept the tenant. Uh, I've even told the buyer to to uh, and he agreed as well to not increase the rent. Uh, so even though it was I think it was about fifty percent, uh, not fifty percent, fifty dollars below market rent. Um, just just leave it. You know, you got a great deal on the onset. You're not you're not trying to uh, we're not trying to do the wrong thing in terms of yes, it's settled. Now it's time to jack up the rent and, you know, make things hard for the tenant. So I think like these kind of odd situations are still around, but they're actually a lot more often than you think, you know, so um, they happen a lot more often than you think, even in this crazy hot market. And sometimes it's just about digging a little bit deeper than getting, you know, like I said, if you trawl through real estate, you're just banging against brick walls at the moment, unless you don't really care about market price. Um, but as investors, I still think it's super important to, to, to expose yourself to these kinds of opportunities. Coming up after the break, we discuss the differences between Brisbane's market compared to Sydney and Melbourne's. We have to remember that you know, for the past, I would say, uh, uh, 10 years or so, unlike Sydney and Melbourne, that's obviously taken off. You know, Brisbane has done nothing. He shares his thoughts on the effects of Olympics could have had on the Queensland market. It's happening now. I mean, urban sprawl, you know, whichever way you look at it. I think the Olympics and things like that have certainly helped. We delve into another case study. We just bought this property last week uh, over in a, an area called Redland Bay, um, which is uh, which is about, uh, I would say, around about 30, about 30 odd kilometers uh, south of Brisbane. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Have you been looking for months and getting frustrated that each property you've seen seems to be a lemon? Or are you after distress, off-market, high cash flow properties in high growth areas, capital city locations? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you are not alone. For being a loyal listener of the podcast, Simon Liu is offering a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote Property Investory. Just 12 to 18 months ago, pre-pandemic, the average price point of a bulletproof property in the Logan Lee era was significantly lower. Logan Lee, Eagleby, Waterford West, you know, Bethania, Eden's Landing, um, 
uh, uh, Chris Mead Marsden. Like, I remember literally 12 to 18 months ago, we were buying 422 properties for around about the 300 to 350 mark. And these were like the newer, you know, like I say, anywhere between sort of five to 15 year old type builds. Um, 422 brick, 600 square meter, you know, just simple kind of what I, what I call bulletproof properties. You know, only so much can go wrong with them. Um, and they're always, always consistently in demand, not only from renters, but also from, if you were to sell it, from owner occupiers. Because when owner occupiers buy properties, they tend not to look at the stuff that's super old um, or maybe stuff that needs work. They, they want to buy something that they can see themselves moving into, maybe a bit of teething issues here and there that they can fix up, but, um, but nothing too, too, too significant. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. I think one of the points that I've made in previous episodes was that, you know, some of these lower socioeconomic areas or, or what I consider ugly duckling areas um, might not seem so attractive when the market's a bit quiet. You know, it's hard to justify, oh, why would I buy an Eagle Bee when there's more premium suburbs, so to speak. But the fact that these houses literally, you know, 18 months ago, we could have bought one of these houses, let's say an Eagle Bee, for a little bit over 300 grand. And now they're all selling for, you know, around about the 500 grand mark. Um, the percentage growth is so much higher than what you could have achieved closer into the city. But the difference is with these sort of, you know, more sort of cheaper price point properties from a financing perspective, from an affordability perspective, from a cash flow perspective, you could have accumulated, you know, several Eagle Bee type properties when the market was relatively quiet. And that would have exposed you to a lot of that growth, that percentage growth, probably more so than if you picked up two or three blue chips that were negatively geared. So I don't, I don't, I don't think the ship has sailed. I think it's still we're still in sort of the beginning stages of the Brisbane boom overall. I feel like the past four months have been obviously absolutely crazy, as everyone I'm sure is aware. Um, but at the same time, we have to remember that, you know, for the past, I would say, uh, uh, 10 years or so, unlike Sydney and Melbourne, that's obviously taken off. You know, Brisbane has done nothing. So I think, um, I think it, we're still in sort of catch-up mode, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's really interesting that you, you mentioned that, and I do remember you and I've you know gone through this phase is ten years ago when we were actually you know back in the days when we were buying out in Western Sydney, Mount Druid and Penrith and all those, and you go, geez, those are the suburbs that you don't want to be in because I know I wouldn't want to live in there, and no disrespect to the people living out there, it's just a, a different way of, of I guess it had a, a stigma back there. But when I've gone out there not long not long ago, the whole area has changed dramatically and that's because of all the things that have been going on that you know have increased and it's going to probably be the same thing as what's happened down at uh, in logan as well to be able to help increase that value because ultimately it's affordable it's happening now i mean urban sprawl you know whichever way you look at it i think the olympics and things like that have certainly helped so you know areas like eagle Bee is literally bang on in between brisbane and gold coast and eagle uh, the olympics is actually helping the two, these two cities merge, you know, so all of that sort of vacant land uh, in between, I wouldn't say vacant land, but, you know, um, where, where uh, it's not as built up, I guess, um, it's starting to become quite sought after, where it is actually becoming quite sought after. Um, and, uh, and I think over time, we're going to see probably, you know, the, there's a lot of going to be people commuting from 
you know, Brisbane to the Gold Coast and Gold Coast back to Brisbane and the, uh, the infrastructure and everything around it is going to allow that to happen a lot more quickly and a lot more smoothly. So we're kind of seeing a bit of that transition as well. Yeah, and then to add to that, I guess, especially when we've had lockdowns across all of Australia, it's forced people to get used to working from home. So now the actual way people think about work is actually being able to work from home. So therefore, it helps increase, I guess, more and more people to be able to buy affordable places and they go, what's the point living so close to the city? There's no need. I don't need to travel to the offices every day. I can live two hours, three hours out and I'll go in maybe once a week in the office. So. It makes it very, very appealing to live further out, you know, and I'm the same, you know, I look, I've spoken to a lot of my colleagues that I used to work with that was in the city and they've moved literally two hours out of Sydney and they go, well, you know, I don't mind driving two hours once a week to meet up with the rest of the team, but we're doing everything literally virtually just like how we're doing right now anyway with our recordings. Just to add to that point as well, you know, I think, I think it's what you're accustomed to and what you grow up with as well. Like, for example, like I grew up in Sydney um, where, you know, in the hills area, and I remember it was like the biggest trek to go into the city, right? Every every day or, you know, for work or for whatever. Um, but now, if trekking, uh, sorry, not trekking, but like uh, commuting from the hills to the city is the new norm, right? 40 minutes or so on the train, 45 minutes on the train, uh, one way and back, uh, each way, sorry. Uh, and the new, the new sort of long trek would be one to two hours you know, in Sydney, for example. So in the Gold Coast and Brisbane, I remember actually, you know, in my beginning beginning um, investment days, uh, I would obviously travel to, the, to, to, to Brisbane quite a lot to check out properties. I would actually book a flight uh, from Sydney to the Gold Coast because it was cheaper than, uh, than, than booking a flight from Sydney to Brisbane. And I would, I would, since I needed a car anyway while I was there, I'd hide the car from Gold Coast and I would just drive up the M1 which I was always always confused me in terms of why people didn't make this commute more frequently because it was only around about 40, 45 minutes, obviously with good traffic to the city, to Brisbane City. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I saved, saved a bit of money back then, which was important, obviously, when you're starting out. Um, and, you know, for, for, for a bit of a shorter commute, uh, sorry, for a slightly longer commute, it, it sort of uh, made that process um, uh, 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 a bit, uh, a bit, bit cheaper as well. So, I think over time, I guess my point is, you know, the the commute from let's say Gold Coast to Brisbane, even from a work working perspective, uh, would be quite normal. You know, maybe 40, 45 minutes. That could be like the new norm in the in the in the long term future. Whereas right now, it might still be seen as unacceptable to to Queenslanders. <laughs> Well, imagine going down to South Australia. They complain that, you know, 10, 15 minutes is a very long distance for them. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's a, bad, it's a good thing that this, that this obviously people have to commute longer, but I think, you know, it's, uh, it, it will get to that point where, you know, urban sprawl and when, when areas become overpriced and people need to move out a bit out further. But it also comes with a certain lifestyle, right? So obviously living in the Gold Coast is completely different to living in Brisbane and, you know, Sometimes the trade-off is, yes, you might have to drive a bit longer to get to your, your work or school or whatever. But at the same time, you get to come home to amazing beaches and the whole sort of Gold Coast lifestyle as well. So, give and take. <laughs> 
Oh, I totally agree. And I think that's a fantastic point that you've made there. It's been really, really interesting to actually think about that. And, you know, now that you can actually look in hindsight, because we've been through both the Sydney markets and the Brisbane markets, it's very, very similar. And as you say, it's all catching up. You mentioned that you also had another case study that you also wanted to share about as well recently that you purchased too. Yeah. We just bought this property last week uh, over in a, an area called Redland Bay, um, which is uh, which is about, uh, I would say, around about 30 about 30 odd kilometers uh, south of Brisbane. Uh, it's right near, near the ocean. Um, another off-market deal, another actually four-bedroom, four, four bedroom, two bathroom, two garage, brick house. This one's slightly larger block. I think it was around about 660 square meters, something like that. But it's, it's a pretty standard house nonetheless. Um, anyway, looking at all the comps, anything that's online at the moment is just getting absolutely smashed. Um, uh, you know, they're all kind of selling for around about the sort of 690, 680K mark for, for a, a, a relatively polished product. So what I mean by that is a house that doesn't need too much work. So, you know, we, we, we spoke to this agent. We've done a few deals with this particular agent before. And he mentioned to us that there was a particular house uh, that, that he could sell, again, off market um, due to the seller circumstances. He actually didn't divulge what the seller circumstances were, um, unlike Eagleby, where you know, they wanted to retain the rental. But um, when he told us the price, we knew that it was a situation that was either private or they needed uh, uh, to sell it fairly urgently. So it's quite distressed. Um, so anyway, we picked up this deal. It was $620,000 uh, 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 that we paid for this property. So it was, it, you know, again, still a good deal. Um, most of these deals that we're getting is, is literally, I would say about 60% of it is 60 to 70% of it is literally just avoiding competition, right? Because there've been a few situations where, you know, we've negotiated an off-market deal, we've negotiated the price, but at the very last second, the seller has a change of heart and decides to put the property on the market for one week only, just to test it. And, you know, let's say, for example, you negotiate a house at $600,000 off-market, they decide to put on market for a week and it'll sell for 700 which surprises both the seller and surprises the selling agent as well, potentially to some degree. So sometimes it's even a case of sellers maybe not even realizing that if they were to chuck their property on market, that they could get a much higher price. So, you know, just again, another another sort of important um, aspect of trying to get access to some of these off markets is you kind of just beat that, um, not, not only beat that competition, but you kind of beat the uh, the the uh, the the, the, realize, the realization of the seller. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or the, ex, the expectations, I guess, at the end of the day. But um, anyway, we picked up this deal six six hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. We even yet to do the building in Paris. It's off market, which is why I'm telling you guys. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, I'd, I'd put the property at risk. Um, so yeah, you know it's uh, they're, they're definitely out there, and we're buying um, quite a lot. Uh, I, I won't say say the exact number, but we're bu buying quite a lot of these on a weekly basis uh, all across Brisbane, you know, north side, south side, inner Brisbane even. Um, but yeah, like to all investors out there, just just uh, you know stand your ground, don't get too carried away, don't feel like you're going to miss out because you won't. You know, property is a long term journey, whether you're not buying something today you're going to be buying something maybe in three months six months 12 years or even if you do buy something today it's going to be another one soon so 
always wait for the right deal, always make sure the numbers stack up. The worst thing you can do in any market is to overpay and to to buy something where it's very hard to come back from because not only does that stop you from progressing, it also stops you, um, it also affects you mentally as in, oh, you know, I, I lost money on this or I haven't made money on this in so many years. And that's the type of stuff where I see investors fall fall down on in terms of reaching their long-term goals, you know, whether it's passive income or a lot of equity or whatever it is. So yeah, just, just stick to buy a good deal. Thank you to buyer's agent Simon Liu, our guest on this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. Also, for being a loyal listener of the podcast, I've asked Simon to offer a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help you put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote, property investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com tapiphone tap iPhone.